Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Prince Harry and Meghan are followed by the paparazzi as Meghan's US popularity is back in positive numbers and Prince Harry is fighting to save one of his UK government lawsuits. I'm Jack Royston, Newsweek's Chief Royal Correspondent, and this is Newsweek's Royal Report. Hello, listeners, and a big welcome back to the show to Kristen Meinzer. Hello, Jack. Hello, listeners. It's so exciting to be back with y'all. Yeah, it's been months. How have you been? Oh, my gosh. I've been great. I've been, like you, busy covering a lot of big Royals events, the coronation, obviously, yep. this recent uh, car chase. I've been in a few documentaries. I've launched two new podcasts. I think the one that's probably going to be of the greatest interest to the listeners of The Royal Report is called Daily Fail. It's a weekly podcast about the world's worst daily paper, which we never name, but a lot of it is Royals coverage that we talk about in there. And so, yeah, I've been really, really busy, but I'm so glad that you invited me on this morning to be back on the show. Oh, yeah, of course. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be great fun. But obviously, serious subject matter, too. So first up, let's talk about the paparazzi. So on Tuesday, May the 16th, Meghan, Harry and Meghan's mum, Doria, all flew to New York for the Women of Vision Awards. And Meghan, I thought, looked phenomenal in her gold Johanna Ortiz gown. She also talked about service and she talked about feminism, all those good subjects that we're used to hearing from them about. And then everything went right, right up until the moment they left the building. So, Kristen, what happens next? Oh, well, what happened was the paparazzi descended on Harry and Meghan. They were already outside the venue, by the way, when Harry and Meghan arrived, even though they kind of came in through a secret side door. The paparazzi were already there. Paparazzi, though, even more uh, uh, aggressive after the event. And following Harry and Meghan in their special vehicles with security, and um, it, it seems that there was a lot of chaos, multiple vehicles following them, uh, according to a statement, driving recklessly and possibly endangering pedestrians, possibly endangering people in other cars. It was very concerning for Harry and Meghan in their statement. They said it was near catastrophic. And um, it, it sounds really scary, especially because of Harry's history with paparazzi personally, but also with his mother. I mean, it had a lot of mm. people here in New York thinking about Diana. Here in New York, I mean, everybody I know here was like, oh my gosh, it feels like Diana again, this this relentless pursuit. And the photos that were taken, by the way, of that chase were only very, very, very briefly online on the Daily Mail and the was it the mirror? I think it might be in the Express, but they they are actually are oh, still Express. on they're still online in America on TMZ. Yeah, TMZ refused to take oh, them down. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so they're actually so still TMZ, up there. Yeah, TMZ Express, um, and um, the Daily Mail and uh, Harry and Meghan, um, you know, obviously did not want those photos out in the world. They don't want photos of them being scared of them being chased. They don't want paparazzi to be rewarded and paid you know, giant amounts of money for pursuing them. So 
it, it was very upsetting for them and for people who are fans of Harry and Meghan. Um, it was also quite upsetting to see them have to go through this, much like Diana. Yeah, so it seems like what happened is they, so they were, after the ceremony, they were going to a friend's house in the Upper East Side, we think, and didn't basically want the paparazzi to follow them. So it sounds like they basically circled Manhattan trying to lose the photographers uh, for a little over an hour before then going to a police station an NYPD mm-hmm. police station, um, spending a little bit of time there, then they jumped into a taxi for about 10 minutes. <coughs> and then when that didn't work as a decoy, they abandoned that plan, went back to the police station, got back in their security vehicles, and then I think basically did wind up driving to their destination with the paparazzi in tow. But I mean, that was definitely one detail that really reminded me of Diana was leaving the security vehicle for a decoy car, which was obviously part of how things went really badly wrong in Paris. So I I have to admit, I was kind of flabbergasted that they actually did that to put themselves in the hands of a taxi driver. No shade to the taxi driver. Of course, I'm sure he was a very competent driver, but I would definitely rather be in like a security SUV driven by somebody who's used to this kind of situation. Yeah. I mean, what I was wondering with that decision was there are certain parts of Manhattan where there are so many yellow cabs that if you get into one, you might just blend in with hundreds of other yellow cabs. So in a way, it makes sense that, oh, this seems like the easiest thing to do right now. Um, But yeah, it did seem like it it didn't do what they wanted it to do in the end. They were still being pursued. They, you know, that taxi driver interviewed afterwards said, yeah, they were still being followed. They were still being pursued. They were Exactly. They were being followed. And so what happened, I think, with Diana was they, so they were in a similar situation. Diana and Dodie were at the Ritz and then they were going on to another location, I think, uh, where they were staying, possibly. Um, And they got the head of security at the time, the acting head of security at the Ritz, to be their, their driver while their normal car was driven off as a decoy in a different direction. And then Henry Paul, who was head of security which uh, drove them off in a different vehicle. And it, it wasn't one of their vehicles. There's been reports in Paris Match that it might even have been an insurance write-off. And that was one of the many links in the chain that ultimately culminated in the tragedy that happened. But yeah, I mean, we've talked about the taxi driver. So he, I mean, this whole thing blew up. It was several hours of frenzied reporting. And it, was, it, it kind of started mm-hmm. with that statement from the Sussex team. And then it felt a little bit like... There was a kind of loss of control of the narrative where different little (laughs) pockets of information came out from other sources that seemed to kind of not dispel the story, but maybe tone down some of the language used. So we had the NYPD, I think, pushing back on the idea that it was near catastrophic. We had the mayor of New York pushing back on the idea that it was a two-hour chase. I mean, clearly the saga went on for two hours, but maybe not all of that was an actual chase. And then you had the taxi driver suggesting that he wouldn't call it a chase. Now, I think clearly they've been followed by the paparazzi, and clearly that is wrong. I mean, it's certainly not tolerated in Britain. In the British media, we have, you know, the British press is regulated by an organisation called Ipso, and under the Ipso code, it is a regulatory breach to persist in photographing somebody after they've asked you to stop, and it's also a breach to follow them. But I mean, what do you think about how it all played out? Did they use slightly over-the-top language? Did they undermine themselves by doing so? Would it have been more persuasive if they toned it down a little bit? Well, I think that near catastrophic uh, could have been referring to, I think a lot of people were like, oh, were they driving 200 miles per hour down the streets of Manhattan? And no, they weren't. Why did they call it catastrophic? And to that, I would say, 
people unfortunately do get hit by cars all of the time and die when people are only driving 30 miles per hour, unfortunately, pedestrians, people on bicycles. Uh, it doesn't take 200 miles per hour to kill a pedestrian, and pedestrians are all over Manhattan. And so when people are driving recklessly, when they are going the wrong way down one-way streets, which is something that was reported, then, um, yeah, people can get hurt, you know, um, and, and that could be catastrophic. But I also know, we all know here that there also is a long history in Harry's life of being pursued by paparazzi where there's trauma involved here too, you know. He clearly feels very strongly. By paparazzi, by his, you know, his his uh, parents and so on. So there's definitely trauma here too. And so I would say it's, you know, both of those things. Yes, it can be catastrophic when a car drives on the sidewalk or goes the wrong way down a one-way street uh, like these paparazzi were uh, doing. But it also could feel terrifying to be pursued relentlessly like this. And also, I, I just I feel really bad for the people who are helping Harry and Megan out who are just like, yeah, you can stay at our house. But now forever, the paparazzi know where they live. I yeah. can park outside the house whenever it is assumed that Harry and Megan might be in New York. Do those private citizens then have to deal with, you know, three, four, 10, 12 paparazzi outside their house all the time? And I'm sure that is exactly what will happen. I guess, yeah, I mean, I agree with you 100% that ultimately I get totally why Harry felt so strongly about this. And clearly trauma is a massive factor. But I do also feel like Harry and Meghan are at risk of being in a situation here where the US public increasingly starts to drift towards the position that the British public have taken on Harry and Meghan where they maybe don't always necessarily give them the benefit of the doubt. I can understand how some people reading the words of the statement might have come away with the wrong impression, which doesn't mean that nothing happened. And I can totally see where Harry got that wording from. And I can completely understand that within the landscape of his emotional experiences of the world, it will 100% have felt to him like it was a near catastrophic incident, like it was a chase. He will have felt chased and felt hounded. And it must have been incredibly scary for him that he couldn't get away from these guys. You know, flashbulbs going off through the windows like that. Oh, you know, he's he's said how triggering of his childhood trauma he finds the very sound of a camera and sight of a flashbulb. So it will have been a horrific experience for him, unquestionably. But also, like, I'm, I was looking on the day at the people who were kind of punching holes in the narrative. And it was like the Washington Post interviewed the taxi driver, you know, the NYPD, the mayor of New York, the taxi driver who drove them around for a while like this. Like, it doesn't look good. Um, and it's one thing when it's the Daily Mail or the Sun, because they have this whole narrative about how the British media is very negative about them. But the reputational implications of having these other Amer very American sources of skepticism towards them, I fear could be very profoundly significant for them, could have quite wide-ranging wide implications for their reputation in America. Yeah, I mean... I see exactly what you mean. And I think that what we should keep in mind, though, is even though those people, the NYPD, the mayor, the taxi driver, gave more measured statements, um, they did not deny that they were being pursued. They did not yeah. deny that Harry and Meghan were being followed. And by the time they were giving interviews and statements, this was so long after the actual chase happened that it would be easy to give a calm report afterward. Whereas Harry and Meghan, what they were going through at the time, I'm sure, must have had their adrenaline going quite a bit. And so, you know, I think timing factors in too to, you know, 
how we perceive certain things in the moment or afterward. Yeah, you know, Harry clearly will have been livid, and I'm pro- sure he's probably still livid today. Uh, you know, I understand that he's submitted his own video footage because he was filming the paparazzi as they were photographing him, and that he's submitting that footage to the NYPD. So clearly he wants a criminal investigation, criminal prosecution into the behaviour of the paparazzi on that night. The other aspect of it that I think is interesting is whether, you know, if there is a little bit of reputational fallout from the debate about whether about the meaning of their statement and whether it was proportionate, does that kind of <coughs> blow up the great PR that they got from the gala itself? Because Megan looked fantastic. I loved her outfit. I loved the dress. Oh, she you know. looked terrific. And her mom, everybody looked great. And everybody looked happy and positive. And Gloria Steinem was looking so excited to, you know, be there with Megan. All the photos from the event, the what was said at the event, um, why Megan was being celebrated. She's a woman of vision who is, you know, taking great steps to try and elevate the voices of women and to help women who are disenfranchised in the world. All of that was fantastic PR. I agree with you. But yeah, it, it's a shame that the paparazzi had to overshadow all that. The other thing is that they don't do as many of these really big kind of high profile events where the media come in and you get these fantastic photos as they did when they were working royals. Obviously, when you're working royals, it's like a virtually weekly thing. It might not always be an awards gala, but there's always like a steady mm-hmm. supply of pictures where they look great. Whereas now it's probably like a handful of events a year, right? Like she's got another one this week. Megan's got another award gala at Gracie for archetypes. But it could be like the number of events this year where they're going to have these kind of great photos, great outfits, etc. could be, you know, small enough that you'd count it on both hands. And it does, I don't know, it did just feel a shame to me when they came out. It's great positive messaging. It's after... The, the, obviously, the content of Spare and Netflix was very critical, um, and that does mean that they kind of bathed themselves in quite a negative narrative. And it was really nice to see a positive message from them for you know for the first time in quite a while. And I, I don't know, I just kind of feel like the event itself is exactly what they need to do to get themselves on slightly more solid footing with the U.S. public again, and then. It's like straight back into the negative narrative. And honestly, like I sympathize with Harry and the Paps should not have done what they did. Clearly, they did follow him no. relentlessly. Clearly. No. But also, it was difficult for him. I mean, this comes on the back of like several months when they've been papped regularly in America. But a lot of those pictures are getting published on US tabloid outlets like Page Six and TMZ. And they don't have the tools in America that they had in Britain. So they can't report people to Ipso. Megan was photographed in a park in Canada by Splash News holding Archie. It was it shut down the paparazzi agency. Splash, they pushed Splash News into Chapter 11 bankruptcy by suing through the High Court in London. But when Page Six ran pictures of Megan picking Archie up from his first day at nursery, there was nothing they could do because ultimately the First Amendment protects the US media. And I wonder whether the huge amount of publicity they've drawn onto this issue is there anywhere that they can actually produce a positive outcome or do they just simply not have the tools in america that they had in britain well when it comes to the children there are actually certain celebrities who've been on the forefront of changing the laws around photographing children Kristen bell has been for a very long time on the forefront of that you know trying to protect celebrity children because the children didn't ever ask to be famous. And Harry, that's how he feels. He never asked to be famous, right? Yeah. So um, so there are absolutely celebrities who are doing all they can to um, you know, change those laws. I believe there are certain laws that are in place to protect children and photographing children. Um, 
but also I just have a question about the paparazzi. Why do you need photos of them looking terrified in a car? Why can't you just have the photos of them arriving? Why can't you just have the photos of them looking joyous at the event? Why can't you just enjoy the fact that, look, they're on a stage and they're being celebrated? Why is that not enough for the paparazzi? That's a question I don't understand. I personally don't want to consume photos of people looking terrified while they're being chased. I don't understand why they want those photos, why they want to publish them. And most people I know don't see those as celebrities in real life photos. They see those as celebrities being scared photos. So that doesn't even make sense to me. Like who wants to see those photos? Mm, Yeah. So I think this is a big difference between paparazzi photographers are predominantly the freelance or work for agencies that effectively act like freelancers. You know, it's like a company of freelancers effectively. It's the big difference between freelance paparazzi and photographers who work directly for news organizations is that if you're a photographer, even for a tabloid (coughs) newspaper, you take your pictures, you file them, you get paid a shift rate and, you know, whatever happens, you get your money. But paparazzi have to get something exclusive in order to get any money because otherwise why wouldn't people just use getty for free why would you pay extra to Mm -hmm. have something that's exactly the same as what everybody else gets and this is why the kind of economy behind paparazzi photography is what drives the photographers to do these kinds of things which is you know the big thing with diana was that newspapers were offering gargantuan sums of money for exclusive pictures of her hundreds of thousands of pounds yes which which is the role that the media played in kind of um, stimulating and triggering and reinforcing the paparazzi economy and so um what i think those photographers were trying to do is not only to get like an exclusive picture that's different to what everybody else had and i suppose like you say a particular facial reaction might have given them something exclusive i guess um but also i suppose they wanted to follow harry and megan back to where they were staying and maybe there might have been they might have imagined there would be a story in that for them like let's say it turns out they're staying with someone famous then you know, they could then say, oh, you know, they would be able to sell that as a story, Harry and Meghan stay with X, Y, or Z person. But it was gobsmacking to read through some of the actual, like, specifics of what happened. I think there was one point when the police actually shut down the road, tried to shut down the road to create space for Harry and Meghan to get away. And it suggested that paparazzi on scooters then rode up on the pavement to get round the police car. Now, if you're Harry, this will be driving him up the wall because he will 100% feel that that photographer should have been arrested (laughs) and Mm -hmm. in britain no doubt that is what would have happened if he had metropolitan police protection officers with him on the streets of britain that is no doubt what would have happened and you you know he would have had in britain he has the right to basically tell newspapers that they're not allowed to run the pictures so you know i can 100 percent see why it's infuriating for him but what i see with all of this is that he hasn't succeeded in getting TMZ to take the pictures down. Backgrid aren't even apologetic about it. They released a statement saying that the freelance photographers involved thought it wasn't near catastrophic and it was Harry's security car that was misbehaving or whatever. He's not succeeded, as far as I can see, in creating any change or creating any consequences or accountability. And so... Obviously, I've made the point already and I don't want to flog it to death, but like it does feel a little bit like a hiding to nothing. Like, is this going anywhere? Is there anything he can actually achieve here? You know, really sad, though, it is that this happened to them. Yeah. I mean, if there's anything he can achieve, perhaps it is just to send the message that, you know, there are limits to what photographers should be able to do here stateside as well. Uh, And absolutely, you know, the British tabloids 
realized, like, we can't publish these photos. After they had them up, they already did publish them. But, you know, when Harry's team said, no, this is not okay, they took the photos down in the UK. And if there's a way for that to extend to the US, um, perhaps that's what Harry's long game is, is perhaps eventually that will be the case as well, that maybe you don't pursue people who um, don't want to be pursued. There are definitely those reality stars who call the paparazzi themselves and say, I'm going to be eating at the Ivy tonight and, you know, photograph me outside the Ivy when I leave. If you're somebody who wants to be photographed by the paparazzi, you know, the Kardashians famously do that. That's one thing. But it's quite another if you were pursuing people who don't want to be pursued and then publishing photos of them looking terrified, you know. And if that's Harry's long game to extend that protection to the U.S. as well, I'm all for that. Okay, and on that note, let's take a quick break. But before we do, a reminder to rate and review The Royal Report in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite shows. And when I'm back, Meghan and Harry's struggling U.S. approval rating has been rallying. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irvin Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. We have some new polling this week conducted by Redfield and Wilton for Newsweek, which shows that Megan's approval rating is back in positive <laughs> numbers for the first time since the aftermath of Spare. Now, back in January, there was a significant swing against the couple in their US popularity. But um, Megan, right, as of May 17, which was the day after the paparazzi incident, uh, Megan was liked by 39% and disliked by 34%, giving her a net approval rating of plus 5 um, in the same polling, Harry was on plus 15, Kate on plus 37, William on plus 34, Charles on plus 26, and Camilla on plus 10. Now, this does re- still remain for Meghan and Harry significantly below where they were in December before Netflix and Spare. Then Meghan was on plus 23 and Harry was on plus 38, but the extraordinary publicity blitz in December and January caused them it, it, to go into a bit of a kind of negative spiral as of mid-January. But needless to say, months on, it seems like things are starting to drift back in the right direction for them. Yeah, but I would say, um, in fairness, that this isn't just about Meghan and Harry doing a publicity blitz, because when Spare came out, there were over 100 stories published by the Daily Mail in the first six weeks after Spare was published, just about Meghan. And Megan wasn't doing any publicity for the book at the time. And so I would say the negative publicity around those two projects, around the Netflix project and around Spare, um, negatively impacted Megan and Harry's popularity. Because every time Megan and Harry open their mouths, there are certain tabloids that are just going to use that as an excuse to write negative after negative after negative story. And I think that seeps into the greater population where people start to think less positively of certain 
stories related to Meghan and Harry, certain parts of their lives and so on. Do you think, though, that it was the media or do you think that it was what Harry and Meghan's, well, maybe less Meghan, because like you say, she didn't do the book tour, but do you think yeah, it was Harry's she didn't, own? She didn't do the book tour and still got a hundred negative articles yeah, exactly, yeah. six weeks. But, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But do you do you think that Harry's own words might have contributed? I mean, obviously there was the Elizabeth Arden cream, which was like <laughs> huge, huge, huge on social media and excruciating. <laughs> like, is there a statute of limitations on how far you can blame the British media? I mean, particularly obviously i think around about that time u.s late night comedy shows started taking them up as a kind of uh, target for uh, for skits at that time as well like if, it does there come a point when it, it's like you can't just blame it all on the on the british media let's remember also that harry's book was essentially a treatise about why the tabloid press is terrible right what they did to his family to his mother to himself how he never had any privacy growing up how the tabloids would get one kernel of truth of something, and then they would build 99 lies around that one kernel of truth. And so, you know, I I think that his book was an attack on the tabloids, but it was also an attempt to air all of his own dirty laundry before the tabloids could. You know, PR 101 is get ahead of the story, right? Get your story out there with all of the details you can before somebody else tries to skew it and then just cover it all in lies. So, you know, it was very much a strategic PR move. And I don't think um, everybody quite grasped that that's what Harry was doing. He was doing PR 101 um, as a way to hopefully cut down on how much the tabloids would say about him that, you know, was not true. So I think when viewed that way, it makes sense that he was saying as much as he was. The reason why we know about that Elizabeth Arden cream, which nobody really needed to know about, but <laughs> the reason he would put it out there is just to get ahead of the story, right? Um, so, minute, you, can't, you can't say that it would have leaked all those years later that he had put his mummy's lip cream on his frostbitten crown jewels. I mean, that was like about <laughs> to break in the Daily Mail. Like, I, th- I don't know. I think, look, I think a lot of people agree with Harry about the tabloids. But I think the point of fracture between Harry and the public is that they don't necessarily, you know, it's one thing to think that the tabloids are mean and horrible to Meghan and Harry, but it's another thing to love Meghan and Harry. And if Harry, like Harry got so much attention, he was on TV across multiple networks talking in his own words. He was, it was him on camera. It was his words. The stuff circulating on Twitter was like clips from the audio book that he narrated himself of him reading his own memoir in his own words. And like, if the hypothesis is that the British media have destroyed Harry and Meghan, then that process should have improved his reputation. But it didn't. And actually, if you look back at the polling of British public opinion during 2019, now 2019 was the year that Meghan said she was the most trolled woman, most trolled person of any gender anywhere in the world. Um, it was a year in which some of the most kind of negative stories about Harry and Meghan were written, like the famous examples like avocado, you know, blaming Meghan forever oh, for yeah. avocados causing droughts and human rights abuses. I think the black nail varnish was 2019 as well. It was, you know, the whole kind of, all the Megan made Kate cry and the Duchess difficult stuff was late 2018. Oh, yeah. All so, the very thinly veiled racist dog whistle stories that were being written about her. Yeah. So all of that stuff had happened. And then at the end of 2019, 
um, in November 2019, 55% of the British public liked her. Now, that is the same as November 2017, which was the month that they announced their engagement. So, in other words, the percentage of the public that liked Meghan did not actually go down during that period when the British media were trying to tear her to pieces. But it appears that it does go down when they go on TV, basically, and say stuff in their own words that's very critical about the royal family. Now, people can are free to think that it's unfair, that they have every right to criticise the royal family, or that it's good to criticise the royal family. But the actual polling and how the polling has fluctuated through time does not, to me, seem to support the notion that it's the media doing it to them. And in fact, when they have said said less, they have actually been better liked. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting, you know, when are we supposed to be silent in the face of injustice? When are we supposed to speak up? I'm always in favor of speaking up. And I think we already know about Harry and Meghan that they don't want to stay silent. When something is not right in the world, whether it relates to themselves or climate change or the treatment of disabled veterans, they don't want to be quiet about it. They're very much the people who are going to you know, be hitting the pots and pans against each other. They don't want to go down in history as the people who are quiet about attacks on themselves, attacks on the environment, attacks on anybody else who doesn't have a voice. And so, you know, this is who we're dealing with. If they want people who are going to be silent all of the time, then just look at William and Kate instead. I tell you what, there was one moment recently where I did remember the value of silence and I don't know if you saw Princess Anne spoke to Canadian TV. And now Princess Anne ah, is, yes, yes. is somebody who she's actually loved in Britain. <clears throat> she's up there as one of the most well-liked royals. But she was briefly asked about the royal family and slavery. And she went halfway. She dipped half a toe in saying something that she didn't finish, which was along the general mm-hmm. lines that, you know, the public narratives about Britain and slavery are wrong. And she has a different opinion, which she thinks is more realistic. And she kind of hinted that that maybe it's somewhere in the ballpark that she thinks that slavery existed before um, the British Empire and has continued to exist afterwards and therefore don't go around blaming Britain all the time. Um, Now, this definitely reminded me of the benefits of staying silent because obviously if Princess Anne had gone fully into that particular perspective of hers, I do not think that she would be among the most loved royal family members in Britain. I think there would be a massive public backlash and calls for her uh, to be stripped of her role as a working royal. And, you know, um, maybe I suppose on one level you could say that it would be better for the public to know, you know, fully what she thinks about it and for her to be judged accordingly. But I can also understand that from the point of view of being a palace press officer, you would definitely not want her to say that. <laughs> well, Anne has always been very, very adept at being in conversation with an interviewer without ever actually saying anything. She is so good at saying nothing while actually talking back and forth with people. She reveals almost nothing. And um, she, you know, she she actually, she, she could teach classes on how to give interviews and say nothing. <laughs> she really is great at that. So tell me, if let's imagine that you were Harry and Meghan's PR team right now, where would you take them next? What do you think they should do? What should the strategy be from here on in? You know, what I would be very curious about, we all know that they signed with CAA, the talent agency, recently. And I'm assuming that every agency was after them. WME, um, you know, all of the big agencies were probably begging them to sign on with them for years now. But they went with CAA. And I would be interested in knowing what projects are they going to work on? Um, How will they continue to support their vision 
um, what more are they going to do with Archwell? And, you know, what they're most loved for are the charitable efforts they make and the ways they give voice to issues that, you know, other people aren't giving voice to. The Invictus Games, for example, uh, Megan's Archetypes podcast. These are projects that are very much respected, that are award-winning, that people around the world pay attention to. So more things like that. And frankly, you know, more award shows where Megan and Harry look great, where they adore each other, where we get to see them, you know, uh, doing great things and looking terrific at the same time. Because people also want to see them look good. This is just frankly a part of the game. They are gorgeous they do. celebrities and people want yeah. to see that. Exactly. People love the royal family for the fashion. They love the pictures. It's very much an aesthetic art. Yes. And, you know, it's hard to make Megan look bad. She looks terrific. She's a former Hollywood star, right? <laughs> she looks great. So dress her up exactly. and have her fight the good fight on behalf of the things she cares about. Those two things combined. Yeah. And those two as a couple, anytime we get to see them looking lovingly at each other, I think that's great for their image as well. Seeing them as a united unit. Okay, I'm going to take one more quick break. But before I do, a reminder to follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jack underscore Royston. You will find all my latest stories for Newsweek. When I'm back, Prince Harry is fighting for the right to pay for his own police protection. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Now, we have one more thing to talk about today, which is Prince Harry's latest lawsuit. Now, his lawyers have been very, very busy people recently, as many of you, I'm sure, will know. And the latest lawsuit that's been in court is his second judicial review over his police protection arrangements. So, little bit of history here. Harry had his police protection detail taken away from him when him and Meghan ceased to be working royals. He has been fighting through the courts in Britain to try to get it back. Now, he's filed two lawsuits. The first one is about the actual decision to remove the police detail in the first place. We are talking today about the second one. Now, in the second lawsuit, he is fighting for the right to pay for his own police protection um, in circumstances where the Home Office have decided that he's not eligible to receive it. So he wants to pay money personally out of his private account to have the police team reinstated. And a judge decided in February to reject the application for what's called a judicial review. Um, So his lawyers have been fighting to try to save the case. Basically, they've gone back to court for what's called a renewal hearing where they're saying, "Okay, but please, seriously, we take we think this is really important and you should keep the case going for all of these reasons and send it to a full hearing. Yes. You know what I'm curious about with all of this, Jack, where the other royals stand on this case? You know, I personally think that, you know, based on everything I've read, that the other royals have, you know, had experiences where they have also wanted royal protection for people who aren't technically royal. Um, William, for example, supposedly, according to Tina Brown, had a panic button put in Kate's apartment when they were not engaged, when they were just dating back in 2000. And so other members of the royal family have been in fear of stalkers, of paparazzi, um, have asked for special favors from the police in the past for people who are not technically royals. Um, And so, you know, I imagine there must be people in the royal family who know what Harry is feeling right now. 
And I wish one of them would step up and say, you are still essentially a member of the family. You are still somebody who is titled. You are still in a lot of ways, even though you're not working on behalf of the crown, you are a public figure who is perceived as part of this institution. And on the rare occasions you are visiting the UK, um, we will find a way to protect you. I wish that that's what the royal family would do here. I really think that they should step up because they know that Harry and Meghan get stalked all the time. They do know that they're of great interest to the public and to the paparazzi. So that's what I wish would happen here. I just wish the royals would step up. And with the current slimmed down monarchy, there are so few people in the royal family left anyway who need protection. Why not just bring some of the protection over to Harry and Meghan on the rare occasions they're over? That's what I wish would happen here. So I suppose the closest example would be Princess Beatrice and Princess Eugenie, who had their police protection detail taken away from them, I think, at basic, around about the time they finished university. They went out into the world to forge careers in the private sector, and they were not entitled to police protection while they were doing that. Um, obviously, Eugenie, quite good friends with Harry and Meghan, but I suppose, on the other hand, they maybe you know want to kind of be team players in the royal family, perhaps, you might imagine. Um, but, it, I mean, it's an interesting one. I suppose, from the royal family's perspective, they will definitely all see it about being, you know, which royal family should get protection and which ro- what royal family members should not get protection. But I suppose from the police home office perspective, once you're not a working royal anymore, I guess you're in a much bigger pot with a much wider range of people who hypothetically could get police protection. And one of the points the police made in court is that if Harry actually wins on this case, and now this doesn't necessarily apply to that other lawsuit, but if he were to win this specific one, then it could create a situation in which other like really wealthy people, the Elon Musks and the Bill Gates of this world, could also try to use their huge wealth to get police protection while in Britain. Um, so it's a really interesting one. And also particularly from the perspective of Harry and Meghan being like, obviously, the way they've positioned themselves in terms of their relationship with the public, like hugely progressive, very kind of like on point on social justice issues. And this is like, it's a really weird kind of topsy-turvy case in which the consequences of what Harry's arguing, arguing for would basically bring private sector money into a public institution which for like young progressives in Britain is like, that's like the, that's kind of, you know, like unquestionable nature of like public services being for the public and not having private funding in them is like a huge issue for young progressives in Britain. So it's a really interesting kind of upside down perspective on where like Harry and Meghan standing on political issues, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And we don't want to live in a world where Elon Musk can go anywhere and just buy the police off, right? <laughs> I don't want to live in that world. Which like 100% he would do. Yes, he would. Oh my God. Yeah, I don't want to live in that world. I don't want to live in some version of the universe where the people who already are billionaires somehow get to tap into the resources for the public just by writing a big check. I don't want that. But I do think Harry and Meghan are different than Elon Musk. If you look at, you know, who they are, what their titles are, what they were born into, and so on. And the rarity that they are in the UK, they're not there very often. You know, they're not asking for 24-7 protection 365 days a year. They're not asking for that. And I think that the way I read it, the reason that Harry and Meghan want to pay for that protection is because they don't ever want to be accused of leeching off of the public taxpayers' dollars. You know, they don't want to 
say, yeah, we don't live here anymore, but we're using all of your resources to protect us. They don't want to do that. They've already been accused so many times in their lives of leeching off of the public. And this is their way of trying to work around that. Yeah, indeed. So that was one of the allegations that was thrown at them when the issue first rose. The whole saga has a complicated history because Harry says in spare that he kind of raised this prospect of him paying for it himself um, (laughs) back in January 2020 during what was known as the Sandringham Summit, where he met with his family to try to thrash out what his and Meghan's royal exit would actually look like on paper. And that has since become clear that was not passed on to the Home Office. And so there's this kind of like whole complicated saga, which is which the first judicial review focuses on which involves like his bad relations with senior palace staff like the a you know most senior aide to the queen most senior aide to charles and all these kinds of complicated issues so i mean it's obviously one that he cares about a lot hence the reason why he's still pursuing it and through not just one case but also two and then also on the side He's actually got a libel action against the Mail on Sunday over a story that they did about his police protection lawsuit. Mm-hmm. So a kind of lawsuit about a lawsuit. Uh, so I think, you know, it's definitely not the last we're going to hear of it. I think it, where it stands right now is the judge is considering his decision. And we will no doubt hear in the next few weeks whether uh, the court is actually going to side with Harry or whether this... If he loses this one, then that would be the... F- out of. I think upwards of 10 lawsuits they've been involved in, this would be his first defeat. So we'll see which way the court goes. So far, they've had a pretty good track record with their lawsuits, the Sussexes. Um, Up until now, they have. Um, But again, I just just wish that Charles or some other member of the royal family would step up here and maybe they could solve this if they were to step in. And maybe this lawsuit then wouldn't even be necessary. But I don't think that they're going to. Let's be real. Charles is not going to step up and defend Harry. He's just not going to, at least not now. And that's it for this episode of The Royal Report. Kristen, thank you so much for joining me. Be sure to join me every week when I visit the latest royal headlines, embark on some royal deep dives, and riff on all things royal. Until next time, I'm Jack Royston. Thanks for listening, everyone, and a curtsy to you all. Being a staple in American media for over 90 years, Newsweek now brings you an exceptional lineup of podcasts. The debate. They'll recognize how these policies aren't working. They'll feel the pain and they'll change their behavior. The Josh Hammer Show. Restore the principles and the political paradigms of the American founding. The Crystal Knight Show. Just because officers are black doesn't mean that the policing system still isn't inherently racist. Fast women. Chevy's actually doing really well and Honda's really not. Wow. She's like the opposite of most people's perception of them. It is. The parting shot. Every year when the new nominations are announced, I get this excited, nostalgic feeling, and it brings out that little kid in me who just loved movies. The Royal Report. Harry and Meghan's head of comms has announced they now move forward to their kind of future outside the royal family. Newsweek podcasts. New episodes drop weekly. Download or listen now at Newsweek.com or wherever you get your podcasts.